If you have your Bible, could you turn to Luke chapter 5? This morning's message will come from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's ask for God's grace before we begin. Father, we're grateful and we're thankful for your word, for this great day, for coming together singing your praises, receiving your grace and your goodness, your blessing. And we ask now as we open your word and we seek from it that you would teach, you would encourage, you'd correct, you'd rebuke, you would do what only you can do through your word by the Spirit. So please work in us now, we ask for it in Christ. Amen. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat, both boats, so that they began to sink. But Simon Peter saw it. He when sorry, when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We cannot fall asleep and miss what we just read here this morning. Because it's easy. It's easy to read this and say, yeah, just another story in the Bible. Just another passage of Scripture. Typical, right? But we're not reading, this morning, you realize we're not reading a fictional novel. We're not reading some person's dream. We're not reading a book that somebody thought, hey, this will be cool. We're not reading some kind of story that's make-believe fairy tale. We are reading a historical event that took place. Now, this kind of stuff does not happen day to day. This does not happen on a regular basis. This is quite astonishing what takes place. And the power, I think when the power and the enormity of what just took place, what we just read, strikes us, we, we start to understand what's going on. Who is this person, Jesus? It really begins to affect us. But you know, it's quite easy, isn't it? Did you, when we read that, were you like, wow? Well, you probably just 
Yeah, that's that's the Bible. That's Jesus for you. But I want us to walk through this story and and just try to imagine what's really going on here. And put yourself in their place. Now for a moment, be Peter. Imagine you're him. And walk through the story and see what's going on here. Because what makes this story so special is that seasoned fishermen, these are fishermen, Simon and his brother and James and John, these guys grow up fishing. Their great-grandparents fish. In those days, you do what your dad did. And it's handed down, and they hand down the trade and the tricks and everything about it. They know every detail about it. These guys know fishing, right? That should be a given. They know fishing better than most. Better than most people. Now, they know fishing. They know the best time to fish. They know the best places to fish. And guess what? They were out at the best places, at the best time, doing the best things with all the skills, with all the tricks, with everything they do and know. And you know what the story says? They caught nothing. It was a bust. They didn't do so well. And then Jesus, Jesus, he's being pressed by the crowds and in, in is so pressed by the crowds, he needs to get away because he's backed right into the water. And so he hops in the boat and goes out in the boat to speak from there. But when he's done, Jesus suggests something to Simon. And Jesus, he's no fisherman, is he? He's not a fisherman. He doesn't own a boat. He doesn't mend nets. He doesn't, he's a carpenter, right? What does he know about fishing? He doesn't know where the good spots are. He doesn't know the best time of the day to go fishing. And he comes up with this audacious idea. (laughs) Wrong time, wrong place, wrong everything for fishing. (laughs) And he suggests to Peter, Peter, let down the nets. Um... I don't know if you've ever had somebody, you know, so you've, if you're in a particular trade and you know how to do something and someone outside that trade recommends that you do it a certain way because they think they know, that can be hard to swallow. Let down the net. Huh, huh. Let's do some fishing. Okay. Uh, Peter, he knows who's speaking to him. At least for the most part. He calls him master. At this point, Jesus doesn't, I mean, sorry, Peter doesn't exactly know who's talking to him. He doesn't get the full picture, but he gets enough. He calls him master anyways. So he gets that this guy is a master, but he's not a master at fishing. He's, he's a master. He's seen him heal, cast out demons and heal people. He's a master. So he gets that part, and he's, okay. I'm wondering, what, what is Peter thinking? What are you thinking and feeling when someone tells you, okay, why don't you throw out the nets for a catch? Oh, man. Okay, part of that's work, and work that's going to be absolutely fruitless. Wrong place, wrong time. No one ever catches fish here. Why? Okay, let's do it. Let's throw the nets over because Jesus said so. And what happens? 
Well, the nets are so full, <laughs> they can't even, they're trying to pull them in, they're ripping. They're so full, thousands of fish, it's like they leapt into the nets. And it says they, they're filling up their boats, each, each boat, they fill up one boat, and now they fill up the bo- other boat, and the boats are beginning to sink. There's so many fish. They've never seen anything like this in their lives. What are you thinking at this moment? (laughs) Okay, there's such a thing as a good day fishing. And many have experienced it. I've experienced some great days fishing. Great days where you fish, you can fish, and you're every cast catching fish, literally. It's called a great day fishing. This is beyond great day fishing. This is beyond anything they've ever seen or imagined. Because here's something you'll notice. Prior to this, Jesus, he casts out demons and he heals the sick. And he's doing it with words, right? He says, demon be gone, fever be gone, he rebuked the fever. You know what you'll notice missing here? Any words. Jesus didn't say anything. He said, let down your nets. Imagine the power of somebody who can just say, let down your nets, and wills fish, just wants fish to be in the net, and they jump in the net. This is what Peter encountered. Peter encountered a power that, okay, I've seen the demon thing, I've seen the sickness thing, I've seen the healing, and that was pretty special, but he is absolutely blown away. So blown away, Jesus falls at, uh, sorry, Peter falls at Jesus' knees and confesses his sinfulness. I like how Calvin put it when he said, Although men are earnest in seeking the presence of God, yet as soon as God appears, they must be struck with terror and almost rendered lifeless by dread and alarm until he administers consolation. Hence we see that it is natural to all men to tremble at the presence of God. And this is advantage to us in order to humble any foolish confidence or pride that may be in us. Provided it is immediately followed by soothing consolation. And so Christ relieves the mind of Peter by a mild and friendly reply saying to him, Fear not. Don't be afraid, Peter. That's what he says to him. Peter was rocked to the core. Peter was moved in a way they never moved. Jesus touched him in the area of his giftedness, in the area of his uh, abilities. He's a good fisherman. They've done well. And Jesus did something that, that rocked his world. He couldn't believe it. Being in the presence of Jesus at that time, When they witnessed power beyond what they could imagine, naturally they were afraid. Have you ever shot a high-powered gun before? Do you remember the first time someone hands you this beast? I'm talking high-powered gun. Not a little 22, you know. Something bigger. It's a handgun, 45 or a 7-millimeter rifle, and it's your first time. Or a shotgun. And if, you're, if, if you've ever done this before and you're younger, uh, you know 
these, you've heard these things, and you know they have great power. Because just from the sound alone, it's like, whoa. And so it's your first time. And here it goes. And you put up to your shoulder, and you kind of, you're not sure if, it, you know, should you go loose or tight? They say, oh, put it in there kind of snug. So you put it in there kind of snug. And boom, you're like, whoa. You just, <laughs> it rocks your whole body. You're freaked out. You're absolutely freaked out. And they offer you the second shot. No, oh, I'll pass this time. That was great. That was amazing. But you're, you're fearful of the power. We're fearful of when we encounter power that is beyond kind of normal, it causes us to be fearful as creatures. That's why we fear lions and grizzly bears and lightning and big bombs. We're not afraid of them if, if we're safe. We can be two feet away, and as long as there's a big old cage, we're like, nah, you know. <laughs> It's so love when you go to the zoo, there's this gigantic grizzly bear swimming in the water, and the kids are playing up at the glass. And there it is. It's huge. But yet, so we feel there's a, there's a confidence, a safeness, because that power is being shielded from us. In the same way, when Jesus was walking around, they didn't get it. The power was being shielded from them. But I tell you, at this moment... The cage went away. The glass was gone. And they encountered a power that caused them to be terrified. Terrified. And Jesus says, this is a great teaching moment. And this is all on purpose for a reason. And the reason was to give them a metaphor. Now look at this metaphor, what goes on here. When Jesus performs this miracle, this is what it's primarily for. It's primarily to, sh- to show them what exactly he wants them to do, what he's calling them to. Because after Jesus calms their nerves, what does he say to them? He immediately turns to them and says, do not be afraid. In verse 10, the last part of verse 10, from now on, you'll be catching men. These were fishermen who were going to be made into fishers of men. Jesus didn't have them bring in the hall and then say, I tell you what, I want to make you guys some evangelists. He didn't say that, did he? He tied it to what happened. He says, do you see what I just did? Do you see what just happened? Do you see how good of a fisherman I am? I've never done it before in my life. I can just will it, and it happens. He says, come follow me. I'm going to make you. Fishers of men. This was a, an action lesson, a really pointed lesson. He has them by the, the collar, just by the dramatic event itself. And he, he says, this is the picture. I want to make you fishers of men. And ironically enough, on Pentecost, after the pouring out of the Spirit, we heard this morning in Acts chapter 2, Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus, Peter gets up and he preaches the gospel, right? And what happens? That day, 3,000 men, it says, jump into the net. It, it actually wouldn't even surprise me. This would be a God thing. If you were to count the fish that jumped into those nets, probably was about 3,000. wouldn't surprise me. Because that's the way God does things. And this is what we see. This metaphor being worked out in their lives. That Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I'm going to make you better fishers of men than you were fishers of fish. You fished fish. 
And you came up empty at times, and it wasn't very good. But I'm going to make you fishers of men, and you're going to see some amazing things happen. Of course, that's one powerful message, isn't it? To get a, a word picture like this, to be able to have a, such a metaphor. A metaphor, we're not just talking about, imagine this for a moment. Or, it's like this. It's like going fishing one day. No, it's, it's such a powerful metaphor. It's like, it, it happens, it grips them in ways that they're caused to ter- be terrified. And then Jesus uses this, this metaphor to say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to call. I want you to go and be fishers of men. You know, obviously, they didn't know exactly what this meant. They couldn't have. We know we can see their ignorance throughout the Gospels. What does this be fishers of men? What does that mean? But they soon realize what Jesus is talking about and what this means and all that it entails. And here's the thing. I want us to take a moment... So we go from the, we, we see the story, we see the metaphor that it, that's Jesus pulling out of it or extracting from it, and then we see the call. There's a particular call here, and I want us to look at this call, both for them and for us as the church. We see that Jesus says to them, uses this as a metaphor, but it's a call for them, a call to do something, a call even to the church. From now on, I'll have you, I'll, I'll, you will be catching men, or another place it talks about being fishers of men. And then they left their boats on the shore, it said, and they left everything and followed Jesus. They follow him. So it's a picture of giving up this profession that they were in, and they give their lives to follow Jesus and go start a whole new profession. Following Jesus and becoming fishers of men. Now, obviously, the the analogy breaks down fairly quick because he wasn't calling them simply to evangelize as many people as he could, get them into nets, put them in the boat, process them, and go you know, go get more fish. There's a, the, the analogy is not complete. He wasn't just calling them just like, in some people think, just conversion. Let's go, let's go get a bunch of people, get them converted and move on and get more people converted and just move on. Of course, there's more to it than that. He was, he was calling them to catch men as he catches men. And Jesus' ministry was the model. It's the calling. What he's calling them to, them to is calling them into his ministry. Catch them as Jesus was catching them. And the way Jesus was catching men was by reaching out to those who were lost in the world in love, by proclaiming a message of grace and hope to the broken, and then growing those who responded to him up into maturity, discipling them, while at the same time inviting them into the mission to go and get others. This was Jesus' ministry. So catching men was a continual process. The calling, what they were called to was a process of reaching out, building up, equipping for ministry, and involving them in the mission. That's what the process was. That's what Jesus was doing. And that was, that's what they were being called to. This was their call. It was their call not to just to convert people, to bring them in, build them up, strengthen them, equip them, and send them out and, and have them involved in the mission as well. Do you realize that Jesus is calling us, has called the church to join him in the mission? So this mission, we can't just read this and say, wow, that was just a calling for these guys. Jesus calls these guys who end up being the foundation of the church. The church itself is called to a particular kind of mission. But you know what? This particular 
mission, this particular call, begins somewhere. And it begins by them going out and following Jesus. However, in the midst of it, they're learning and seeing his love, fundamentally his love for the lost world. They're seeing a love, a sacrifice, a giving of himself. And they're seeing the heart of God. It isn't just duty. Let's go. We're called to this, so this we're called to go. We're called to go fish for men. Actually, what he's revealing here as well, what they're going to see is Jesus' heart for the lost. And, and we know that when we see Jesus, we see God. Jesus, looking at Jesus is looking at God. Have you ever wondered what God is like? Have you ever wondered what he's like? You look no further than Jesus. Jesus is the expressed image of God. Here he is, God in the flesh. This is what God is like. If God were a human and walked on earth, this is what he's like. This is God. And God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And Paul said, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he said, of whom I am chief. What was his mission? What was the call? God wants to go out into the world, and this is what he does in Jesus, and he goes and seeks and to save that which is lost. And then he comes into his family, and he disciples and grows and matures them, and then he invites them into the mission to go and to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the call. To properly understand God's heart for the world, for the lost, for unbelievers, like in in understanding this call, think of the most loving parent you you could ever imagine, ever, whose children have gone astray. If you can think of that for a moment, what it might be like, what it might feel like, what what that would be like, you're kind of understanding what it's like... have the heart of God, God's heart toward the lost world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost because he has a heart and a burden for him. He has compassion on them. He's like Luke 16, which we're going to see. We've got the prodigal son, right? And now the father, we see the heart of the father towards his lost son. This is the heart of God. God's heart breaks for the lost. He breaks for them. So he pursues them. And he gives his son for them. And do you know what? The only way, the only way we as the church, the only way we are ever going to have the, obey the call of God for us, the only way, is if we have the heart of God. Because if we don't have his heart, there's no way we will pursue or follow his call. And the honest question, the honest question I have to ask myself is, the honest question you have to ask yourself is, do you have the heart of God? Do you have the heart of God for your lost neighbors, for your co-workers, for your family members? Or your friends, your lost friends? That's an honest question that we all have to ask. Do we, we all have to ask. Do we have the heart of God towards those who are lost? When you look outside those windows, you see a world, you walk and live in a world, particular world, do you have God's heart for that world, for those people? Because if we don't have God's heart 
If we don't have his heart, our heart will not break for the lost, for those who are trapped in sin, for those who are under the power of the devil, who are groping around in darkness. We will not have God's heart for them. We will not have compassion. We will not think much about it at all. But you know what would happen if we do have God's heart for the lost? We would heed his call. We would obey his call. We would surrender to his call. We would seek them out. We would reach out to them. We would pray for them. We would pursue them and seek to win them to Jesus. That's what we would do. That's how we would act. However, most of us, if most of the church... If we're to ask that question of ourselves, what is our heart towards those who are lost? The true answer would be, no, I don't have the heart of God for the people outside the kingdom. But there was a time when I did. There was a time when I did. And here is why I believe our heart grows cold and we slip away from the call that we're, what we're called to as the church. We slip away and we get into other things because we don't like what they do. We don't like how they talk. We don't like the way they vote. We don't like what they say on Facebook. We don't like what they like. Right? We don't. And so the tendency is over time to forget where it is we've come from, to forget who we were, and then start to see it as us and them. We begin to think, that's simply who we are? This is simply who we are? That's simply who they are. And there's this giant chasm that remains. And then all of a sudden, we like our people, they like their people, we're not of them, we're not of them. Let's just keep it that way. And so if God wants to save them, He's sovereign, right? What will he do? He'll save them. Man, I hope he does something with them. But however, when we look at the life of Jesus, what does he do? He goes after them. He pursues them. He hangs out with them. He blesses them. He serves them. He eats with them. He drinks with them. He has a reputation of being friends of sinners. And as we look at him, we see what we're called to as a church. And sure, we are not called to be of the world, right? Guaranteed. But we are called to be in the world. Jesus did not, he desires not to take us out of the world so that we would be a light and salt and light in this world and be like him, following the call, become fishers of men like him in the world. Jesus leaves us here to be on mission in the world. That's why we're here, to be following his call to go and catch men. Now, I I realize in this, we could sit here and say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Great. You don't have to be an evangelist to have a heart for the lost, to have God's heart for the lost. You don't have to be an evangelist to love your neighbor. You don't have to be an evangelist to reach out, to serve, to bless, to give. 
And you, but you do have to have, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. So if you or I have lost our hearts for the unbelieving out there, we need a change of heart. And if we need a change of heart, there's good news. Because you realize what we need to do? Do you realize that I need to do? Fundamentally, pray that God would give me his heart. Give me your heart, Father, for the lost. May I love what you love and love them the way you love me. May I love them as I have been loved. And may my heart break as yours breaks. May I have the compassion that you have. Oh, God, please change my heart. But do you know what? The devil will put lies in your head as to why you can't right now, why you shouldn't right now. There's lots of reasons why we shouldn't be reaching out to the people around us, the lost world around us. We could just, you know, the thought is, well, hey, that's God's job, it's not mine. I will simply, you know, I, I simply need just to be about my business. Someone else who's got that gift or calling should be doing that. Someone else's job. God, you know, and if God really wants it done, he will raise up the right, the right people for it. But you know what all those are? Are just justifications for our own dead heart toward the world around us. Now, again, don't hear right now that, you know, the call for us is Jesus calls the church. It's, we're not, every single individual isn't called to be an evangelist. That's granted. But all of us are called to have God's heart towards the world. All of us are called to go out into the world and to love as, he, as we've been loved. All of us are to have compassion like Jesus. All of us are to be on the same mission. But not all of us do the same things. God has placed you. He's gifted you and given you family, friends, co-workers, People in your, maybe wherever you shop, wherever you go to the gym, he's placed people around you. He's placed you in a particular environment. He's placed the world around you. You're in the world. You're not to be of the world. But while you're in the world, what's your call? Your call is to go and fish for men. Your call is to go and love, to serve, to bless, to give to the world around you. But perhaps you don't want to because... You have fear at the thought of reaching out to those around you because, again, of who they are and who you are. Or because of, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And do you realize what paralyzes us most? What prevents us from moving forward the most? The unknown. We don't like the unknown, do we? If you, if you have to step into the unknown, you're human, guess what you're going to feel? Anxiety. A lot of people don't like walking into groups, unknown groups. Why? They're not sure how it's all going to turn out. They're not sure exactly what to say, perhaps, or what's going to happen. And whenever you walk into the unknown, it's, it's so, it's, it's, our co- it's common among men. It's common among all of us. It's to fear. 
be fearful. And then we avoid. So we avoid any of the unknowns. We like the comfortable. We like to stay in the arena where this is safe. I can figure this out. I can be in complete control here, and I can walk into that environment. And that's, that environment is what I love, and that's where I feel secure. Right? That's what we like. That's who. That's comfortable. Over here is unknown. Under here is, well, scary because it is unknown. I don't know because I can f- imagine what might happen. And if I imagine what happened, if I say, you know, this could happen, that could happen, this could happen, or I could, I could, that could be awful. I avoid that. But you know what God often calls us into? The unknown. And walking by faith is often a fearful thing because we walk into unknown situations trusting the promises of God. When Jesus calls his church to go and make disciples of all nations, look at what he says at the very end of it. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. I'll be with you. So reaching out, going out, extending hands of grace and mercy is always fearful because of the unknown. But you don't have to fear because your God is with you. Your God has ordained the situation. Your God will help you. Your God is, is there for you in it. And here's the other thing. You don't have to go. It's, 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 he's not, we're not called to, door, to go knocking on doors and, say, and, and do some survey or find out if we can start preaching to people. What We are called to reach out in love. We are called to serve, to give, to bless, to have a heart for the lost, to have compassion. Remember, God has placed you among certain people. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your neighborhood, your family, your friends. He's placed you in certain locations around certain people. And he wants you to be like him wherever you go. And how was he toward them? He reached out to them. He loved them. He served them. He blessed them. He ministered to them. I have a challenge for you, a challenge. It's not a huge challenge, not a big challenge, small baby step, small challenge. I would like you to do something today. Make a commitment today, and here's what I'd like you to do. Here is my challenge. My challenge to you is, first of all, pray. Pray that God would give you his heart for the world, for the lost. Pray that God would give you his compassion. And that's the first thing, pray. And then, second of all, I want you to pray that God would give you, and here's just, it's simple, it's easy, one person or family. If you're single, that God would give you a person. If you're a family, that God will give you a family. Show you who it is that you will pray for, unbelieving family that you will pray for daily. And that you will look for ways to build that relationship, to spend time with them, to reach out to them, to bless them, to serve them, to give to them, to love them. And thirdly, pray, pray that within one year, within the year, this year, that God would so work in their lives 
that you would see them in church. That's the challenge to you. Pretty simple. We can all kind of do that. Pray that God would give you his heart. Pray that God would, would uh, show you who this person is. And pray that within one year, God, they, you would see them in church with you. I, we can all do that. That's pretty easy step. It's a pretty easy challenge. But I tell you, just by focusing on the one, it makes it something you can do, simple, practical, and has implications. And you, as you see God working in and through this relationship, it'll do nothing but encourage you to do more. To be, get going, get God's heart, to be, get on mission with God and what he's doing. As he calls, he's called his church. This is what I want the church to do. We're, while we're here, we want to be out reaching out and loving and serving, bringing them into the church, seeing them grow up to maturity, and that they too could turn around and go and do, do likewise. Because as long as we are just content and happy to be in our own little cluster and our mind and our thoughts and our heart and our compassion is not outward we become weird. Like a self-centered person becomes weird. Over time, we shrivel up and die. But if we have a heart and a mindset that reaches out and looks outward towards others, our lives get filled up. We become full. It becomes exciting. It becomes something. You feel like your life is on mission and not just so inwardly focused. And I'm telling you, that this is something that I believe that we truly need to get into our hearts. It needs to capture us. We need to start to love the things that Jesus loved. When we look at what Jesus came to do, he took and he tried to take these fishermen's attention away from the fishing and their calling. And not, we're not all called to do, to drop the nets and drop our work and go. But within your work, within what you're doing, where you're at, Be a fisher of men. Go fishing. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for seeking and saving us, reaching out to us, loving us. Thank you that you pursued us. Father, I do ask that you would give us your heart, that we truly would have a heart we would have compassion. We'd have mercy on the lost world trapped in sin under the power of the devil, groping around in darkness and lost, that our hearts would break for them, that we would love them, that we would seek and reach out to them, minister to them, bless them, serve them, be like you towards them so that they would see your love and we'd proclaim to them and tell them the love that is in the Christ Jesus our Lord. Have mercy on us, Father, and give us this heart, for we ask it in Christ. Amen.